We're back for another episode of the Book Out Sam Talks Ball podcast. And today we have got a special guest on Sebastian Besson. Claire Fontaine is maybe best of the best. They, they produce Kylian Mbappe, Thierry Henry, William Gallas, and and so on and so on. Sebastian Besson, I don't know if you know him. <laughs> I knew in my head I was going to turn pro. I was going to make it. It was a matter of time. It was a matter of me doing what I'm supposed to do. Michael Owen and Nicky Bott went to see the, the gaffer and said to him, listen, the kid has to play. The wizard, Harry Redknapp, fucked <laughs> me. Champions League is harder, way harder than World Cup. Small guys like Carlos Tevez or Aguero, them ones, they made my life hell. The William Saliba, sorry for my Spurs fans. <laughs> but as a defender, I love that defender. But when you've been doing something for 20 years plus, and all of a sudden things stopped. It's going to be a struggle. And I, and I went through it and I'm not going to say that it has stopped. There's some days are harder than others. I took some time off. At some point, I wasn't even watching football at all. I was kind of gutted of football. I didn't want to watch any football. Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure you are following us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please do leave us a five-star review. It helps us more than you can imagine. Anyways... Enjoy the podcast. And we're back for another episode of the Book Out Sam Talks Ball podcast. And today we have got a special guest on. And but before we start, I'd say one of the happiest people I've met. This guy just buzzes and just oozes just positivity. Sebastian Bassong, how are you doing? I'm amazing, Sam. Good. What good about you? Yes, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm feeling positive. After our last chat last week, I was annoying everyone at work. I was skipping around the office. I was in such a good mood going in <laughs> after our chat. But we have got absolutely loads to talk about. And I want to start off with and go right back to your early days, right at the start of your career. So what was your earliest football memory and how did you really get into it? Mm. My earliest football memory would be when I was playing, I mean, yeah, when I was playing down the block with my friends and I w- it was on a Wednesday. And on a Wednesday, there was a, the o- one of the only days my dad was allowing me to go out and play. Yeah. And one of my big, I have a couple of bigger brother. He came and he saw me out there. He said, listen, I'm tired to see you playing outside like that. Let me get you into a club. So he took me and took me into a club. And I was so impressed because they had kids. They had loads of things that I had never, ever seen before. <laughs> and I played football, you know, in a very organized way. Yeah. You know, people telling me what to do. And I was so geeked. And I think that's when I always loved football. And that's when I thought, oh, you know what? It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, there's organization and all them things. So that's my earliest, earliest, very earliest memory. Then, as you can imagine. It kind of that went from it, there. Yeah. <laughs> because from there, I've built several later later on. <laughs> and what age then did you kind of hit you that maybe, do you know what, I'm actually... I'm actually quite good at this. I could potentially do this full time kind of thing. What what kind of age did you get that early on? Or was that kind of later on? Or No, that was, le- uh, I always knew that was good. I had a little, a little bit of a talent because, you know, when I come from, when you got the elders playing football and they, you're one of the youngest and they pick you to play into their team, you kind of think, okay, I got something. But you never, I never, I never ever took it seriously until I've joined Claire Fontaine. When I get, got to Clairefontaine, which was the, the, the famous academy, the best academy in the world, I kind of thought, you know what? 
maybe there's some I can do something about it. Yeah. Before that, I was only playing for fun. I had never even run. I mean, in terms of a physical run, you know, aerobic, and no, I was just kicking the ball. So, but when I got to Clairefontaine, he got it pretty serious, and I thought, you know what, Seb, you must, if you want to do it, do it properly. Yeah, and did you feel kind of the pressures then at that early age getting into the academy and things? Because I always think, obviously, I've never been there. I wasn't good enough. As you said earlier, playing with the elders, I was the opposite. I was always last picked. That's why I'm talking and interviewing people like you. <laughs> but um, did you feel the pressure at that young age or did you not? Re- did you fully understand it and put it all into perspective? How did you find it? I didn't I didn't really feel the pressure because where I came from, when I joined Clairefontaine, you would... I didn't even know about Clairefontaine. It's some of the elders from my neighborhood who came and knocked on my dad's door, kept telling him, you know what? There's this thing, it's called Clairefontaine. Seb should go there. And that's how they brought me there. But honestly, the reason why I was so good because I, I had no awareness whatsoever about what was happening in the football world. I was just kicking the ball for fun. Then the pressure started coming when I was at Clairefontaine. Because I realized the level of the other players. Yeah. I thought I was good. You know what? You're in your little bubble. You think you're the king of your you know, neighborhood. When you get out there and you face some talent, some crazy talent, you're thinking, oh, my God. And then you realize that there's a very, this competitiveness starts growing up. And then you think, you know what? Every single year, they get rid of one or two. So it becomes very competitive and you're in the best premises of the world. So there's the French national team. There's so many great players who came out of this academy. So you're thinking, okay, it's serious. So that's when the pressure starts coming. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's when I realized, okay, cool. Football is not just, you know, easy and just nice and easy and everybody's happy. No, 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 no. This is a ruthless world. And yeah. I was 13 that I found out about that. Oh, 13. Oh, wow. So it was still a, still very young, though, isn't it, really, to have that all put into perspective, kind of like humble yourself kind of thing and get yourself ready and prepare yourself. Um, a lot of the audience that listens to this podcast is of a younger age. And one thing I always like to ask people is, what kind of advice would you give to people at the age of, you were saying, like 13, 14, people that want to make it in football? Kind of what one main thing should they be thinking about and doing, maybe? One bit of advice. A bit of advice would be... Football is not the end of the world. I mean, football, there's a start, and there's, there's a start date, and there's a finish date. I would say, and that's why I keep saying, and I said that even yesterday when I was in France to an event that I was running, I said to them, if your dream is to play football, change your dream. Because play, being a professional football player is not a dream, it's an objective. It's something, because I've done it. Yeah. So, so many other people have done it. It can't be a dream. So I want people, the advice I would say, I would give to people is rephrase it. Make it an objective, but as soon as you make it as an objective, you got to, I mean, master your craft. You got to yeah. become obsessed. Becoming obsessed about becoming whatever you want to become, that's my advice. Instead of being interested because there's so many people that are interested and they want to, you know, the good side of it, they don't want to be obsessed. Obsessed doesn't mean you don't, you don't look elsewhere and you don't, no, you're going to learn other things, but you're going to be obsessed by that. 
that's the best thing to do to have a chance, a slim slide of a chance to make it and leave from it. Yeah, I really like that. I like that the the shift to objective. That's a good way of looking at it because you can then flip that and use it on any kind of way of life, couldn't it? It doesn't have to be with football, whether it's career path or absolutely anything. I like that because then once you've hit your target, because if it's a dream, then you fulfill the dream. Whereas if you look at it as an objective, it's then where's the new objective? Where do I push on next? I like that. I'm going to yeah. use that. I'm going to pretend that's mine as well. I'm going to nick that. Sorry, <laughs> that um, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then moving on then from the academy, you then went to uh, Mets. And uh, looking at that kind of thing, how was it then when you first got that pro contract? Because that again, when you'd hit that objective, what was kind of the feeling? How how did it all go about? With you know, in all humility, humility because I came out from Clairefontaine, I had a pretty strong contract already. Okay. So unless unless I was doing something totally crazy, and I wasn't executing the thing that I was supposed to execute, I knew in my head I was gonna turn pro i was gonna make it it was a matter of time it was a matter of me doing what i'm supposed to do however i can, when i got to the academy mets it became even more ruthless it wasn't the time to learn about things that was the competitiveness for real but i was built for it you know i had a kind of um i was one two step ahead coming out of clairefontaine with everything that i've learned before so but when I got my pro contract, I wasn't, honestly, you know how I am now. I'm laid back. I'm relaxed. I didn't make a big thing about it. For me, it was just a step. I, I thought, you know what, Seb, you sign your pro contract eight, at 17, turning 18. I'm like, okay, what's next? I was just, yeah, it's good. All right, but there's no point for me to, I don't know, to get carried away if I sign one three year or five years year, year contract. And after those five years, I'm out of job and I can't carry on. So the first contract, I celebrated it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but not for long. Then uh, it's just what's next. That's, yeah, that was my mentality. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably the best way to be, isn't it? It's kind of like the ladder system where you look at, that's the first step and then you're kind of getting onto that next stage and keep progressing. And it's just a, a means to the end kind of thing, isn't it? No, it's a good way of looking at it again. And um, how, how did you find your time then at Mets? How did it, did it take a while to kind of get used to playing first team, uh, competitive, like professional football? Like how did you, how did you take to it? Did, did you early on just think, right, I'm, I'm straight in or did it t- take a while to kind of get into that team? Not at all. I, it took me a while. Coming from Paris, going to Mets, Mets is kind of, it's northeast of France, right? So that means I'm going to the countryside a little bit. So I'm a, pure Parisian. So it took me a while to adapt to the new lifestyle. It was in Paris. I was away from my family. And even the, the mindset was different. So then when I started playing, because, because I, I had a, I grew up as a striker when I was younger. Yeah. I, I, listen, I was a gold machine. A gold machine. A gold <laughs> machine. Oh, but I never had the uh, the art and the love of defending. When I turned into a defender, so I was a striker, then I get number 10, left wing, number six, you know, slightly. <laughs> slowly coming down. <laughs> slowly coming down. Slowly. <laughs> My ego took a knock. I'm never... <laughs> and I end up left back. Then I grew up, I took a bit of muscle. I grew up center back. So I never really loved 
like to defend and even love. I learned the, the art of defending when I came into UK. But before that, I remember my manager used to tell me, listen, I'm going to make you, you got to love tackling. I was, no, me, I wanted to make people, stop <laughs> people. You know, I was a street player. The mindset was a street player. You know, you play for the show. So I was defending, but I was always going forward, trying to dribble past people. That was my mentality. So that's why it took me a while, even when I signed pro, to really enjoy a tackle, to really enjoy a header. Then I still played a couple of years, a couple of seasons in professional in France, but I was just talented. I was good. I was hungry, but... And I didn't love defending. Yeah, it hadn't kind of clicked kind of thing yet. No, nah, it never clicked. I was like, no, you know what? If I, I was going forward, I was jogging back. I wasn't sprinting back because I needed to really make sure my defense was on, on top, on the top of things. Then I've learned. And that's, that's what I mean by it took me a while to really adapt to the professional level. I was trying things. Uh, I don't know. For me, I was really good. I was hungry, but not to the point that, okay, Seb, you're going to become a great player. Yep. You didn't think that yet. Do you think as well, going from like a striker in the past and converting to a defender, do you think that gave you like a, an advantage as well? Because you could kind of look at it from a striker's perspective or did you not see it like that? How did you? Uh, in a way, it gave me an advantage because I kind of understood striker mindset, but between the youth and the professional level, there's a massive gap. Yeah. So the, the way I was as a youngster playing up front, there's is nowhere near the player was I was coming up against when I was professional or even turning pro. Yeah. So it was way too far for me to think. You know what? I've been a striker. They think like that. So therefore, I'm. I know now. Nah. He, he went out of my head. A long time ago, but what helped me is because at Clairefontaine, the way I mean, I was playing everywhere. So sometimes he said, "Go up front, go left wing." So we were able to always dribble, be technically gifted. So that's what gave me a real advantage because we've been really the way we've been brain brainwashed football wise. So we always had an advantage in you know, the vision of the game, the way. I was always a step ahead because yeah. I knew I could feel football. I could smell it. So I could see where to go, moving to spaces and stuff. That's what we've learned early doors. So that's what gave me an advantage when I turned pro or play football. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like they were really ahead of their time because you've seen other academies like Ajax and kind of and Manchester City now have kind of implemented that style where everyone plays in every position. So they can just fill in and they can understand the game differently. But they sound like they were really ahead of their time, that academy. So, yeah. Clairefontaine is maybe back in the day, the, I mean, the best, the best of the best. They, they produced Kylian Mbappe, Thierry Henry, William Gallas, and, and so on and so on. Sebastian Bassong, I don't know if you know him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they, they produced so many Abu Dhabi. And that's what gave us a one or two steps ahead because the way we were breathing football, eating football, drinking football we had a ball each in our room so we were really into the you know the the atmosphere of football the french national team was next door so we were into it 
So that's why you know, we had a, an advantage. Yeah, I get that. Um, so, okay, then we'll move on forward then from your move from um, French football, moving over to the UK. And after doing a bit of research, this this completely blew my mind. So is this true then? You went on trial at Newcastle before you joined? Yes, sir. I went on trial. I've never heard of that before. Honestly, when, when I read that, I was thinking, surely that can't be true. Because uh, to still be on, under contract as well at Mets to then go on trial, well, Met, I'm guessing Mets were completely fine because they were hoping then that they'd make the sale. Yeah, they, 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 were, they were fine and... Honestly, kudos, credit to them because I'm a homegrown player and I was doing well. And for some reason, I wanted to see something different. Yeah. I had some sort of approach in the f- from a couple of French clubs, but I-, I wanted to go abroad. I was young. And then when Newcastle came, because I played a, a tournament, the Toulon tournament with the French national team, and then my agent called me, long story short, said, yeah, Newcastle is interested. They saw you playing, Kevin Keegan, but they're not sure, blah, 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 about you adapting to the football, the English football. And he was, you know, he was mumbling a little bit. He was, uh, I said, okay, spit it out. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, they would like you to come and see how do you fit. I said, okay, basically they want me to come on trial. It's like, yeah, but I said, no, <laughs> be clear. And he said, yeah, because he never thought that I was going to say yes, because I was playing for France under 23. So I was, you know, feeling myself a little bit. Yeah, I get that. You you get me. So how can a French international going to go on trial? Back in it, it wasn't even possible. But I was so sure about myself and I wanted to leave that much. I said, yeah, I'll go. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'll go. He said, you go on trial. I said, yeah, I'll go on trial. So then I had to convince my club, but my club, and I love them for that, for Mets. They said, you know what, Seb, maybe you're not going to have this second chance like that. So we're going to make it happen. Even though you're still under contract, go for preseason, do your bid. And if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I knew it was going to work out. I love that. I look, but again, that's the mentality, isn't it? That you've got to have, if you're going to make it, you've got to have that strength in your mind to think, yep, yeah, I'm going to go there and I'm going to get it. So how long was the trial then? How did it, how did it all go about? Were you training with a team or were you on your own? I'm intrigued by this. Yeah. You know what? I had, I had never been out of France before. I mean, in England, I had never been in England. I've seen UK on TV, Premier League. So I was kind of dreaming about it. So when I got there, I got to Newcastle. And I had never been. So I got on the plane. I almost missed my plane because, you know, I wasn't, a, a usual, I wasn't used to travel. Yep. And my agent took me there. I went there for my agent. And I remember we got to the airport. He spoke to me and he said, Seb, you know what? Uh, English people, that's how they behave. You know, they want to see that you're a grown man. I said, okay, so fly back. He said, no, I'm going to take you to. He said, no, fly back. And he left me alone. He literally flies straight back. And I was there in Newcastle Airport. He called a cab and he was freezing cold. <laughs> I, I had never been there. I, did, I didn't know about it. It was August, but it was <gasps> freezing cold, <laughs> pissing down the rain. I was like, where the hell am I? And I had a t-shirt on because I thought it was summer. Yeah. No, and I didn't know about the Newcastle summer. And the trial was for a week, a week to 10 days. 
it was supposed to be a week. Then it got prolonged to 10 days. First day, like when I got there, I got into a cab and they were playing a friendly game. You know, those um, preseason friendly game. One of the yeah. first. Played a game. So I went there. It was cold. So I wanted a hot drink. I go to the bar or something like that. They offered me. I said, do you want a tea? I said, yeah, I'd like a tea. I'm a French guy. Remember? And they bring, pour me a tea and they put some milk on. I'm like, oh, hold on a minute. What are you, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, you want a tea? A tea? I said, yeah, tea. In my mind, we don't drink tea with milk. So that's, and I was cold. So I drank it, but I'd be like, bleh. <laughs> like bleh. Just what you need before a game. <laughs> oh, but I didn't play. I was just, I was oh, sorry. I was watching them. Okay. The next day, they had a day off. And I didn't know about day, days in, days off. So I thought I was going to train with Michael Lowe and all the superstars. I was like, oh, I, was, I was like that, overexcited. Go to the training ground. I see nobody, no cars. And only Chris Uton comes and it's going to be me and you, like a 1v1 session. I said, what? So that was my first session. It was raining, it was windy, foggy, and it was pinging balls, headers. And I'm like, what am I doing? What kind of, what am I doing here? And he vouched for me. It's a slight tackle, passing. I'm like, what kind of football is that? And, and the day after, I started training with the team. And from that, we played the game at the end of the week. There's a game against Doncaster. And that's when everything started. But even during training, I was so confident because I was technically gifted and I was yeah. a central defender, but I could see the game. For me, they're coming, slide tackling. I was chopping people. I was powerful. I mean, I, I was fearless. And I played like that. And they were like, whoa, whoa, who's that kid? Who's that kid? Because I had no, res no respect whatsoever for anybody. Anyone was coming to my zone. Forget it. And they loved that. And then we played the game. <laughs> Friend again, again, Doncaster. And I remember, first, I started the game, number 46. I started the game. First three balls in the air, there was a guy, honestly, six foot, five foot, striker, five, yeah, five foot nine, top max, and six foot three. First three balls in the air, he just bullied me. <laughs> real. He bullied me. And I was, I was known to be really good in the air. And I thought, you know what? Oh, yes. He literally bullied me. I was like, and I was looking at the ref. Like, ref? No, any chance? No. And Kevin Keegan was the manager. He was like, stronger, stronger, harder. And honestly, I didn't get it. It's like, I'm, I'm at my maximum. And I was losing ball in the air. Like, come on. Holy shit. And then fourth ball, I just went like an animal. I just jumped. I mean, knee me. I kneeled on. I mean, I went all in on it. And I won the header. And I look at the ref. The ref said, play on. And Kevin Keegan on the touchline. And the guy said, that's what I'm talking about. And the ref said, play on. And I was like, this is when everything clicked. Okay, that, that's how savage you want me to be. <laughs> that's, and that's exactly what I said to myself. 
all right. And from that point onwards, I played the whole game. I won every ball. And the, the fans, they were singing, who's the 40, who's 46, who's 46, sign them up, sign them up. But obviously, I couldn't understand a word about what they were saying. <laughs> and I've been told at the end of the, the game, and then they offered me a contract. I flew back to Paris, came back, signed my contract, and uh, the rest is history. That's brilliant. I can just imagine, yeah, kind of those few challenges. Like that's a that's a perfect way, especially against a side like Doncaster, um, to really get it into you to realise, okay, okay, yep, yeah, I need to I need to understand this because it. You see a lot of pros that come over from abroad, and we've seen it a lot at some of the big boys and some of the big clubs it, recently. Where centre backs, I, I always think about Rafael Varane talking about his first game in the Premier League, where he just said it was just chaos he openly talks about how he really struggled to get straight into kind of the mode and things but yeah it's kind of something that you don't really appreciate but to do that against a, a lower league side as well I can imagine that was pure, just pure carnage <laughs> honestly it was that's the word carnage I, you feel so alone I was thinking honestly I don't get it usually I'm good in the air and I get bullied by a shorter guy and I couldn't work my head around it until that trigger point when something clicked and I was like okay that's why the Premier League and I we're gonna we're gonna be best <laughs> I love that I love that okay then talking about your, your Newcastle time then and that next season um for the club obviously wasn't great but for you personally I read online that you um won an award you had a, an amazing season and things talk to me about that season like did you did again did you feel like you just took took to the Premier League like duck to water kind of thing did it come really fast he came really f- I mean, I, I'm one of the luckiest player who came, gelled straight to it, into it, and I played. But I played, I signed, then I didn't play for a couple of games at the start. I played the first game because I came on, because there was an injury, and I remember I didn't want to come on. It was a, at the Emirates Stadium. Bear in mind, I'm young. Yep. I just come from France. I'm happy to stay on the bench. <laughs> I'm happy to stay on the bench and to watch the Emirates. And then there's a Jose Enrique, you know, pulled his army or something after what, 28, half an hour. We're all warming up and he's looking at me, he's pointing at me. And at me, I'm looking behind me. Looking like, behind you. <laughs> I mean, who are you pointing your finger at? I like, and I said, no. I said, no. So you're on a kid. And I didn't speak English. I was like, oh. And I came on. But then I didn't play for a couple of games to the day. And this is true story. I was, I'm not going to lie, I was good, really good. To the day, Michael Owen and Nicky Butt went to see the, the gaffer and said to him, listen, the kid has to play. Regardless what you think of other players that are supposed to be ahead of him, we all know that he's by far our best defender, he has to play. So I wouldn't have played that much if Nicky Butt and Michael Owen wouldn't have said a word for me. Wow. Two, two greats like that as well to get so the high when, praise. Yeah. So when they talk, um, regardless who you are as a manager, uh, there's, a, there's a chance that you're going to listen. Yeah. And he called me in his office. He said, kid, and I called Abby Bay because he was translating for me. He said, are you ready? My answer said, I said to Abib, tell him that I'm born ready. And, uh, and he played me and I never left the squads. Personally, I played my best football. I, I reckon 
truly, I, because I was fearless. I was just young and I was just playing with no worries. I was enjoying my football. I just came into the Premier League. The team wasn't doing so great. My person, I was killing it. Yeah. And that, that frustrated me a little bit because the team wasn't doing that well. But on a personal level, I was, and I was, I was driven, I was hungry for real. Because the way I signed my contract, I was on a very, very low wages, very low wages. So I kind of got challenged by the sporting director. It was a take it or leave it contract. It wasn't something that I imagined. It was nowhere near that. And I was struggling for real. I couldn't even, I was borrowing money from other players to pay my rent and all them things. So I was hungry. So that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to prove a point and I proved my point because uh, I became player of the season from the player, from the journalists, from the fans. I took everything. Then I got an offer, a new contract, and then I went to Spurs. Yeah. So kind of, I, I remember when it all unfolded back when I was younger about how it all unfolded and how it kind of went to Spurs kind of thing. Did you kind of, did you, do you feel like you left Newcastle not on the perfect terms kind of thing or? Yeah, yeah obviously. I left on a term that I would never, ever wish to leave. First and foremost, I didn't want to leave. My condition was if Alan Shearer stays, I stay. But because Alan didn't stay, so that I opened conversations. And I think, to be honest, Newcastle, you know, find their, it was good for them, good business to sell me. They sell, yeah. sold me, but I was really young. And I left on, in, I got influenced and I took the wrong decision at some point. I didn't go training as, because I've been told don't go training. And I was in love. I was so much in love with the Newcastle fans and the Newcastle, the Georges. I'm in love with the Georges. But I kind of took the wrong decision and I regretted that. And that's how I left. And it wasn't the best term, but I, make, I made a man after that. And, you know, yeah. They, forgave me after when I came back and but yeah honestly I was I was really sad Newcastle is just without Newcastle I wouldn't have had the career that I had so for me regardless what people say or the the way people were advising me to leave I was like no I can't do that I'm I'm an emotional person so I'm thinking no they've done so much for me I can't do them things but sometimes you do things and you regret, but that's part of your story and uh, your lessons. Yeah, exactly. And it's be able to reflect on it and look back and kind of then think about it in a different light. That's the best way of looking at it, isn't it? It's like a life lesson things to move on forward. Then, okay, then talk me through your time at uh, Tottenham. So obviously Tottenham signed you for around £8 million uh, pounds at the time, which is it's a big deal for a youngster as well, for only one season in the Premier League. They took a risk as well. But how did you find it? How When when you found out Tottenham were interested, was it a bit daunting knowing, because again, it's another huge club within football? Yeah. It, it, it was, I had a couple of club interested and I felt, I'm not going to lie, I felt good. You know, I felt like, you know what, you wanted, there's negotiation, your agent call you, you got to go there, talk to that person, talk and for some reason, the wizard Harry Redknapp got me. He's it, it, just, he's so good. He's a smooth talker. So he knows how to attract you. And Harry went to see Alan Shearer and said, ask him, who in your team shall I pick? And Alan said, Seb, definitely. 
So that's how he came after me. And I had other clubs, but for some reason, I don't know, I felt kind of a, fell into the trap, in Harry's trap. And when I went to Spurs, it was a different ball game. It's not Newcastle anymore. It's, it's the capital, it's London. And I, I've been in my small city, family city, Newcastle. And my neighbors were bringing me food. Now, nah, listen, yeah. we're in London now. It's, <laughs> it's not the same. And it took me a while, but I started well because I, sp- I scored on my, on my debut, which made it easier for me against Liverpool. Yeah. So, but my time at Spurs was the best in terms of what we've, what we've achieved, the player we play with. I mean, overall, it was amazing. On a personal I've learned. I've learned a lot because this is when you, you kind of get at you, you're, you're high, yeah, the high, at the highest level. You play Champions League quarterfinal. You play, you're fighting for the league, you know, for the Premier League. But sometimes you get carried away a little bit. You start you're really into the f- professional football. Now I'm on another level. Yeah. Every, every aspect, I'm on another level. So it's hard to stay grounded and to, you want to, yeah, it's difficult. So you, you becoming more emotional and you think like, I'm not playing. I should play. Why don't I play? And that, that gets into your head and you, that push you to take the wrong decision sometimes because you're being too emotional. You're not, you're listening to your emotion more than the facts and you don't have this buffer to, to make you think, you know, or, or relax yourself, relax yourself, put things back in perspective. And that's what most of the players need. And that's what most of the players sometimes get off the rail. I didn't get off the rail that much. I played, I played, I played, we've achieved, but I should have at some point take off a decision because I was very emotional as well. Yeah. Which again, but but moving into the, the capital city, it's understandable why everything can get onto you and the pressures and things. It's completely different, isn't it, to when you were playing at Mets and Newcastle, as you said. Kind of then looking back, did you make any mistakes or any, any regrets then you're looking at that you can think of straight away then with the pressures? No, no, mis- not mistake. A mistake, of course. I've done several mistakes and I'm happy that I've done them. Do I regret them? Honestly, not at all because I wouldn't have became the man that I am. If you don't make no mistakes, you don't learn. And people, sometimes they regret their mistake. Oh, I, I wish I, I, sh- I, I wouldn't have done that. And I, I kind of can't say, you know what? No, I'm happy that you've done it. Look at you. You made it out. So, and you learn. For me, there's no mistake. There's just lesson. So all, everything, every rash decision that I took, emotional decision, because it was always based on my emotions. Now I'm thinking, ah, oh, what an idiot. Why did you do that? But in a way, if I wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have learned. And I would have maybe carried on until now doing the same thing, thinking that that was the right thing to do. Because yeah. at the time, you really, you convince 110% that, you know what, I'm entitled. I can't, no, that's not normal. I, it has to be done that way. But when you take things back, I mean, Put a bit of perspective, you're thinking, what an idiot, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> that, I think that's the, whole, that's the whole process of a human being, what, whether you're a football player or whoever you are, that's just the process. I, talk, I think about my, my kids, the way they think now, I'm thinking, 
They think they know better, for real. <laughs> Daddy, you don't know. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's, especially the elder, she's convinced that she knows better. So I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I've been the same. So it's just part of the yeah. process. It's part of the process of life, isn't it? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Definitely. Okay, then. Um, so moving then on from uh, Tottenham. And the reaction, by the way, when I announced that you're coming on the podcast, I have never had so many reactions from Norwich fans you are loved by that club. I didn't even know I had that many Norwich followers, to be honest. People I'd never heard of were messaging me going, ask him about Norwich, ask him about Norwich. So just before we even talk about your time at Norwich, just describe the way you kind of your affiliation with Norwich. How do you feel when people talk about Norwich? Because they absolutely adore you still to I, this day. I reckon this is um, love and hate, to be honest, love and hate relationship. Let me explain when you, there's a thin line between love and hatred. Yeah. It's passionate. And I, rec- I think that people at Norwich thought, some of the people thought I was aggressive, right? And I always corrected that saying, I'm passionate, which is a totally different thing. It's caring, it? yeah. Aggressive for me is negative. And people thought, oh, it's too, you too aggressive. I said, I'm passionate. Everything I do, I do it with passion. When I joined Norwich... And I've said it many, a million times. I didn't know nothing about Norwich. I joined Norwich because of Chris Hutton. Because as I told you earlier, he's the first one who gave me a training session. So there's a connection between him and I. Yeah. But when I joined Norwich, I found a club that was a bit like Newcastle, a different level, but in terms of family club, family, small city, people were down to earth. And that's what I love. That's why I was like, you know what? I can make my mark here. And I joined Norwich. People were surprised coming from Spurs. Nobody saw that coming. But I said, you know what? I like to surprise people. You know, when everybody thinks you're going to go left, I'm going to go right and show you that it works. That was my, my mentality for the good or the bad. And I started off very good, very good. But then my problem at Norwich was maybe I stayed there for long my, I was very demanding. I was very demanding because I came from a certain club, a certain, I had a certain mentality. I'm a foreigner yeah. with a French mentality and I'm a winner at all costs. I, I love to win. Yeah. And I, re, I think that the way I was expressing myself sometimes wasn't the right way. Wasn't the right way because I was passionate and, and I was younger. So I, I didn't even know myself that well. But yeah, we've, we, we went on a journey, a long journey, ups and downs, promotion, relegation. He was passionate. The fans, I ain't got nothing against the fans. Honestly, I ain't got nothing against the fans. And I, I totally understand fans are so emotional. So some, they, they might hate you, they might love you. And that's the beauty of the game. And I, I don't want to take that away from them. So I ain't got no, I don't hold no grudges against the fans. We always made, made it up. It, it's cool, honestly. But then my personal story ended really bad in Norwich. And I think that was poor. That was poor because at the end of the day, you got to, for me, you got to celebrate people who achieved things at your club. And it wasn't the case. There's so many stories, but for me, I don't live in the past. When I think about Norwich, I'm thinking, you know what, Seb? Yeah, it was a good time. My, my shirt is there. So 
Avrod history, part of the Norwich history of being player of the season, the first foreigner being player of the season. So nobody's going to take that away from me. So it's fine. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the best way to, to look at things in, in all of life, isn't it? If it ends sour, um, whatever relationship, whether it's with a club or a person or family or anything like that, you've got to try and look at the good times and things because you can easily sometimes get bogged down, can't you, with the negatives and that kind of side of it. So it's the best way to look at it. I love that. And for me, life is too short for think about, you know, why it's been sour. They've done that to me. They've... Listen, in a relationship, you've got to be to, to, to dance a tango. You've got to be too. You can't dance a tango on your own. So there's always something that you've done that triggered a reaction from somebody else and vice versa. And before you know it, you're in the middle of a mess. You don't even know who started what. So yeah. you, gotta, you better think about the positive. Honestly, I can't talk back. I can't talk bad about Norwich. We've, we had so much emotion. We produced so much emotion for the fans, for myself. Woo! Oh, yeah. this, is what this is what I want to think about when I think about Norwich. Yeah, you keep talking about emotion and I've noticed that with all these kind of clubs and all of your career, it always comes back to like the emotional side. And uh, one thing, I can, I'm a West Bromwich Albion fan, so I completely understand Norwich because it's a very similar club to my team, West Brom, always going up in between, uh, not recently anymore, we're not getting anywhere near the Premier League, but kind of jumping between the two, so I completely understand. And that's what the fans want, isn't it? An emotional player who, as you said, cares, it's the passion. That's what means more than it, more than anything at a club like Norwich. So I can completely understand why they absolutely loved you. Um, we haven't discussed uh, your international career, and I thought that's perfect time, Connor, to move on to it. Um so many questions. I don't know, even know where to start. How did you first find then that you were going to get like an international call-up? How did you find out? Because I grew up in Clairefontaine, I grew up through the ranks, the French national team, the French system. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Cameroon as well, so I had a chance. But for me, it was a no-brainer that I was going to play for France until a certain point, because France gave me everything the player I am, the mindset, everything. So I played for France and with pride, I was happy. Then Cameroon was always knocking on the door. Yeah. Always, when I was young, always, always. But for me, it wasn't the right time. I didn't have no choice to make. Until this, when I was 19, turning 20, Newcastle, I don't know. Samuel Eto'o called me a few times and then... I had a choice to make because the French national team called me as well, the, the, like the head coach. And I made a choice because I was, li <laughs> I was listening. I got advice from my dad to listen to two national anthems. And the one who's going to give me goosebump is the one I really feel for. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. That's what I did. I went to my room. I put the two national anthems and I felt the ones girls going to give goose, goosebump and, you know, some, some type of a, woo. It was Cameroon. I grew up as a Cameroonian. I mean, my dad, my mom, they, and by the way, that was their choice, but they didn't want to tell me. <laughs> and I made a choice. I've always said to people, you know what? Don't, don't stay in between. Make a choice in your life. Just make a choice. And that's going to be yours. Whether it turns out well or bad, it's going to turn out well because it's your choice and you take full responsibility. And that's, it, how, yeah. and that's how I did. That's what I did. It wasn't even for all the years I've been there for, trust me, it's been a big roller coaster. But because it was my choice, influenced by nobody, I, I'm in peace with that. 
and I loved it. Every minute I played, every minute I, I struggled on the airport, on the floor, because the, our plane wasn't even taking off. <laughs> every bit of it, I loved it. It was worth it, yeah. That's a good way, again, looking back at it and kind of things. I love the way, just casually, did you mention Samueletto then on the... Yeah. Phone. You you mentioned you dropped that in then as if that was absolutely nothing. I love the way you did that then. I was thinking he can't surely have just said Samueletto, then just pushed it aside as if it was nothing. <laughs> imagine at a young age getting a call like that. I'd I'd be yeah, I'd be just blown away, kind of calls like that. But just shows again your mentality, doesn't it? That that's just it's what it is. Is what it is. And Samuel, as as much as I loved him, and I still love him as a, an amazing player, he made me shiver. I mean when he was playing for Barcelona, I mean, amazing. And for Cameroon, for me, he's just another human being. Yeah. He's just another human being. So I never had the mentality of, you know what? <gasps> Look, I'm flattered. But don't, don't get it twisted. You're just another human being calling me. So I'm not going to do no reverence to you. Yeah, and, no, I get that. No, 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 no. But that showed an interest. That showed an interest. So when he, and then obviously I became, he became my big brother. It became my big brother, him and other players. But as I've been, I've always been respectful with people because for me, I respect you as a player. I respect you as a human being the same way I would respect anybody else. You're not any different because your name is whoever. And that's why they love me, I reckon. And I will always been straight. Listen, I don't, I don't get into shady stuff. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Got me in trouble in my life sometimes because I was too, too straight. But at least I was kind of um, sticking to my core values. Yeah. That's why I always had inner peace. And Samuel, yeah, Samuel is uh, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, you um, made the World Cup squad. And that is that the, would you say, the pinnacle of your career? Is that the, the, the greatest achievement in your career? Or would you say your individual stuff that you've done? It's for me, it's part of it because it's a childhood dream, childhood dream, play the World Cup. And, uh, but it, was, it wasn't that hard. Champions League is harder, way harder than World Cup. But it has a, World Cup has a different taste because yeah. we're talking about international game. When you play for your country, you, it's, it's, a diff, it's different because the pressure the weight on your shoulder, you represent the whole nation. So it's not like you're playing for a club and you can change. Maybe within six months, you're going to be somebody somewhere else and you're going to be like one of them guys, wherever they go, they're like that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I hate those guys. But <laughs> I think, oh, they're all kissing the badges. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. That oh, really winds me have, up. Have a little bit of pride, but that's... Beside the point. <laughs> uh, so, World Cup is amazing. But then, as soon as you get there, now you're here to do your business. You're here to do your job. Don't get carried away with all the sparkle. Because it is intimidating. It is, I don't know. Yeah. You might, sometimes you might even, you might even miss what you're here for because you're going to come and consume and be, be so blown away. Yeah. So you have to, as quick as possible, get right back down. We're here to do a job. Yeah. So, yeah, I would put it in my top three. I wouldn't put my, my personal achievement 
No, that that wouldn't even be into the best time of my. I mean, they're part of it, but I rather do something as a group. For me, it's more meaningful. Yeah, it's more I get meaningful. that. I get that. The sense of achievement. No, yeah. I completely get that. Okay, then what we usually do whenever we uh, interview uh, players on the podcast, we kind of do like some quick fire questions that have been sent in by the audience. Now these are a little bit all over the place. Just going to pre warn you. <laughs> shoot, 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 and I love the fact you didn't want to be prepped on these, so you, you're thinking, "Oh my word, I might regret this." But no, there's going to be nothing like that. We're going to start our first question for the quick fire questions: Nike or Adidas boots? Who did you always prefer? Nike. Easy. Nike, but I started with Adidas when I came at Newcastle. But I've always been a Nike fan. And then since the, after Adidas, I stuck, I stuck with Nike. Okay, love it, love it. Okay, and the best stadium you've ever played at? Best? Yeah. A stadium or atmosphere? Well, however you perceive it, whether you, yeah. if you want to... Yeah, okay, I can split it into two answers. Okay. Best stadium, Santiago Bernabeu. Wow, yeah. Santiago Bernabeu, Champions League. Atmosphere, I would say there's Cam- Yaounde, Cameroon, the Cameroon Stadium. It's just when it's packed, you know, the stadium may be, the capacity might be 90,000. And because it's Africa, we have 110,000, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because people are just climbing everywhere and all. Oh. And I would say St. James's Park. Yeah, I, I expect this St. Joe's part to be up there because a lot of ex-pros always talk about it, don't they? That it's like nothing else. Nothing else. St. James's part. Yeah. I love my night, Champions League night at White Hart Lane. But oh, St. James's Park is just... <sighs> no mention of West Bromwich Albion then. I was expecting the Hawthorns up there then. I was waiting for the... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, then the toughest striker you've played against? Oh, that one. The toughest, I would say, it's um combination. Rooney Van Persie. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, combination of them two with Michael Carrick on the ball because Michael Carrick could ping any, a ball anywhere and them two, the way they were looking at each other, the way they were running, crossing over. I mean, they were so good. I'm telling, I'm yeah, I'm saying Rooney Van Persie just on the top of my head like that. But I could tell you Samuel Eto'o's that. But really, Rooney Van Persie, me, I hated those small guys like Carlos Tevez or Aguero. You know, they, they were always on my shoulder running around. I could, oh, yeah, different type of striker, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. my God. Them ones, they made my life hell. But Rooney Van Persie, yeah. Okay, I love that. The uh, best captain you've played under? Mm. The best captain I've played under, I would say, for different reasons. Ah, I told you it's gonna be difficult. <laughs> it's uh, okay. I would say for the charis- charism, Rigobert song in Cameroon, because he's just. You can go to war with him. I mean, he's just not the most skillful, not even tactically, but you just go to war with him. He has so much, I mean, it's too much. Yeah. And over here, 
led the king. Led the king as well for what he represents. Because he doesn't, as funny as it is, he doesn't talk that much. But when he did talk, people listen. When, when, he, when he let us talk, like, okay, cool. I'm onto it. Don't yeah, worry. I get that. I get that kind of, he did, he did manded respect, but without having to, to show yeah. it and say and it just instantly, yeah. And that's for me, that's the, the, the real way to be respected. You don't have to force it. You know, you earn it. And led the king as a captain was top draw. I love that. Okay, then, and the final quick fire question: Who is your favorite current player right now? A favorite. <sighs> favorite to watch. Watch. Watch or however it, you want to. Yeah, it would be. I love. Dif... Okay, Herling Allen. I love Allen because he's. He's a beast. Yeah. I, I, I love his dedication. I mean, he's a beast. He's aggressive. He's just hungry for goals. And defenders, I would say, William Saliba. Sorry for my Spurs fans. <laughs> uh, as a defender, I love that defender, Saliba. Yeah. He's been great. He surprised me as well because kind of um, we we spoke about when he was on loan out in uh, France and he was getting young player of the season kind of thing. And there was quite a lot of hype about him. I was interested to see kind of how he'd take to the Premier League as well to be thrown in in this Arsenal side. And he took to it like it was absolutely nothing, didn't he? That first game, I think it was against Crystal Palace. It was just wow. This 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 is some guy. This is like he's been absolutely great this season. And that that sums up how the the French players are. There's so many. I mean, I could name a lot. But Saliba for me, oh yeah, I love Saliba. Yeah, he's got a touch of class as well, hasn't he? I do really like watching him play. And you see, when Arsenal lost him, how how their season went kind of thing, it showed the impact he'd had on them. Okay, then those are all of the quick fire questions. Thank you. And uh, kind of then now we look at it now after football, since since leaving the game. How, how are you finding it? Because obviously a lot of players have talked about the struggles and things. And how have you found it at life after football? It is. There is a struggle. There's no reason to try to downplay it. There's a struggle when you've been doing something for 20 years plus and all of a sudden things stop. Regardless of the level you've played at, it's irrelevant. It's going to be a struggle. And I, and I went through it and I'm not going to say that it has stopped. There's some days are harder than others because you can't predict it. And it, it is tough. I've been out of the game for almost three years. And some days I'm thinking like, wow, what am I doing? Uh, where am I? I don't know. It's, it's hard, but there's a challenge. It's another type of challenge. And I've always loved challenge. That's how I take it. And that's how I, I took my time. Because you've got to tell, you've got to be patient. In football, the, f- the problem is we're very impatient. Everything's going to go quick. The decision-making going to go quick. When you get into the ball, you're going to release the ball quick. So you have kind of a grown an impatience regardless because everything has to go quick. Yeah. Now, you've got to rewire your brain. That's what takes time. And people, sometimes they want to transition quick, but you have to go through that downtime, that's hard, that hard time to reinvent yourself, to know who you truly are and and that's what I reckon, that's what some of the players, they're not ready for it. 
but yeah. I, I kind of um, realized that and, and I embraced the challenge and I came out of it. I'm coming out of it pretty good. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I want to speak from footballers all the time. They say it's kind of the, you, you play for, you have 20 years of your life where your whole life is based around one week and you build up to one day. And then as soon as that one day has gone over game day, you then focus on the next week and that kind of shift in mentality wise and not having that one constant like merry-go-round of cycle of life you've kind of it's just like well, what do I do now kind of thing what, what what am I working for what am I doing how, how do I go about things so yeah what, what 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 have you been up to then since life on on the pitch since life on the pitch I I took some time off at some point I wasn't even watching football at all I was kind of gutted of football I didn't want to watch any football and I'm very passionate about football I used to know every shirt, squad number, every player in the Premier League, front, friends. I mean, I was obsessed. I love, and I still love football. But then I, yeah, I thought about my transition, about what I wanted to do. And I became a personal and professional development coach and a keynote speaker because I've done the work on myself since I was playing. You know, it started yeah. years and years ago. And I kind of fell in love with that because for me, that's, that was the best way to be who I am outside of, you know, the name. You see the name on the background? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Name, right? I wanted to come off that because, and I was always convinced and I was telling myself, Seb, you do exist outside of the name on the back of your shirt. Rather than just Persona, you can be yeah. Sebastian, yeah, or Seb. I'm Sebastian. I'm Sebastian. Most of the people didn't know Basong, and even in my family, they didn't know Sebastian for real. So the label that we, you know, we live through, we live through for, for 20, 25 years, I wanted to come off that because for me, that was kind of a prison of a jail. So outside of that, you kind of nobody. And that's, that's what made me think, you know, I said, no, you're going to do what you're meant to do. And I've done my work, personal development, when I was playing to coming out of, hard situation, especially at narration stuff. And I, I, I said to myself, that's what you're going to do because I, you can have an impact on people's life. And you are, you do exist outside of this. That's, that doesn't define who you are. And I have a brain I can think. I don't have to stay in that box that people want to put me in. And I've always, as I told you, trying to define, you know, the odd. And that's how, that's why when, I went to study, I went back to school and I studied and I studied and I studied. And at some point I was doing nothing because I, ha I needed that time where you sit back, you just dwell on things. And then you spend time with your family, you reflect, spend time with your kids. You kind of rebuild some new priorities because football has a start and it has an end. And I didn't want to be one of them people who are in a denial, you know, always relying on what they've done in football and all them things. It's part of my life. So it was a personal, personal work. It's, it's an ongoing work, but that's, that's where I transitioned to. And I, honestly, I love my work. Now I, I really love my work. I love what I do. And I call that like my, it's my purpose rather than my passion. Football is my passion. What I do now is my purpose. That's what I'm here for. When I got a mic, when I go, do a presentation or a keynote speak and I speak or when I coach some groups or individuals. Yeah. I, course, now, yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. 
I'm never going to find the same adrenaline than on a football pitch. And you got to be okay with that. We, none of the football player, whether you are a manager, whoever you want to be, you're never going to find as much adrenaline. We are addicted. We are junkies of adrenaline. We, and that's what we're missing sometimes. We're missing our shot. We need an adrenaline shot. But you got to be in peace. You got to make peace. It's like, it's grieving. Grieving is, is a process. And it doesn't come overnight. Oh, okay, no, I lost my grandma, my mom and dad, whoever, and I'm okay overnight. Sometimes it takes years. But you, you got to learn the process of grieving. That's exactly the same for football. And as you mentioned, just look at the positive. Not always being attached to that because I always say to the bowlers or to whoever, you're more than a bowler. It's just a status. Who are you outside of the name that, are the, that is on the back of your shirt? Then that opened the perspective, and now you can do great things and still be an overachiever that, like you've been all your life. Yeah, no, I love that, and I think that's a really fitting way, kind of, to to close this this kind of the the whole podcast off. And I think it's a really good message and things that people can take away, as we said, on and off the pitch kind of thing, and apply that to all walks of life, uh, definitely. So then, my final question, my closing question. So then not regardless on off the pitch kind of thing, what do you want to be remembered for then kind of legacy wise? Is it now what you're doing then? So is that exactly what you need to be remembered for the positivity? I want to be remember. I want to be a, a role model for my kids. What I mean by that is I want them to remember that my dad, whatever he put, whatever he did put his head into was come. He, he, he was come to pass. Because nothing, I want to be remembered for my mantra is take what's yours. This is my mantra, take what is yours. I got it on my merch and stuff <laughs> because of what, that's why I want people to remember. I want people to remember me say, oh, Seb, Seb Besong, this madman. <laughs> There's nothing who could stop him. And that's what I want to be remembered for. Whether it's on the football pitch, I'm a champion a- anywhere. And as the champion, for those of you who are listening, for me, you are champions too. You just got to believe and transfer those skills anywhere you go. And that's what I want to be remembered. The same way I've played the highest level in football and I'm happy about that. I'm not going to turn my back on that. That's part of my story. But let me just transfer my skills. I'm not retired. I just transfer my skills somewhere else. And that's what I want to be remembered for, thinking that, you know what, everything, when I say everything is possible, if you put the, the real work down, if you, know yourself, if you know yourself, you want to learn about yourself for real, trust me, you're going to be able to, the sky is going to be the limit and reach some height. That's what I want to be remembered for. And my kids to say, nah, my dad was somebody. This guy <laughs> was crazy. But yeah, I got this from him. I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. I think that's the perfect way to end this podcast. I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on. It's been really enjoyable and a lot of things I'm going to take personally from this conversation and and apply, whether that's at work with my online stuff. Yeah, I think it's brilliant and I think everyone will completely agree. Is there anything you want to plug? Any any links you want me to put in down below? What do you want to tell everyone? Uh, You can follow me, follow my cup for my French people and my English people. I go um youtube channel where every saturday morning it's called seb's sms every saturday morning i drop some gems saturday morning just follow me on youtube seb's sms i'll send you the links 
And uh, yeah, Instagram on my daily basis. Yeah, I kind of became a, a serial poster now. <laughs> so I post, a, I post a lot. And that's it. Yeah, yeah just, you want to know yourself. If you really want to get to the next level, that's my message. That's what I'm here for. Me and you, that's what, that's what I'm coaching for. I'm your coach and we go together. But I got a couple of stuff coming up, you know, a couple of tools that, yeah, just drop me a message and I'm always available. Like, tw- like Tesco 24 hours, always open. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect ending, isn't it? That's what you, you're like, Tesco 24-7. <laughs> 24-7, you know, you can always pop in. I'm always yep. going to be there. <laughs> yeah, love it. And I have to admit, uh, drop into some of um, Seb's lives because I, I watched one recently. I think you did one with, with Bradley Johnson, I think. Uh, I hopped in. And some of the conversations you have with people are, are brilliant. Yeah, really, really enjoyable. Yeah, I personally enjoyed that one. But go check it out. And as I said, a massive thank you. And uh, please drop the, uh, everyone drop the podcast a five-star review because we only do five-star reviews only around here. But yes, as I said, thank you. And I will see everyone soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.